I would like to invite you, if you have your uh, copy of God's Word, uh, we're going to be in Psalms 42 and 43 this morning. Uh, we're keeping these psalms together because uh, most likely these psalms were at one point one psalm. Uh, you can see that there's a strong similar language between the two. And uh, we don't know uh, exactly the, the person who wrote this. It says the sons of Korah. Um, but most likely whoever wrote this was, was writing this psalm far from Jerusalem, which was their spiritual home. And even as we've been singing this morning, uh, he, whoever was writing this psalm was longing for home, for a home in God. And so let's read together, beginning in Psalm 42. To the choir master, a maskel of the sons of Korah. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling." Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. This is God's word. Let me pray one more time. Heavenly Father, this is your word. This is what you've meant for us to hear this morning. Lord, we, uh, we read this psalm and we read the longing of the psalmist and we, we confess that often our hearts long for other things much more than they long for you. 
But Lord, I pray that you would give us through your spirit a deeper longing for you, for a home and a hope in you that outlasts everything. Lord, in this world, however much we enjoy our earthly homes and and the good things in them, we are a homeless people until you come again. So Lord, we ask that as I speak and as we listen, your word would shine through, that it would cut deep to the heart, that it would convict but also heal, and so that we could leave today saying that we, we have been with Jesus. And we ask this all in his name. Amen. Well, this psalm, as I've said uh, this morning, is uh, it's a psalm of longing. Uh, and uh, if you've ever read through the psalms, you know that a lot of them are psalms of lament. And they are filled with emotions like grieving and anger. And specifically, as I said before, this psalmist is longing for home. Uh, He is feeling out of place and he longs to be back uh, at home with his God and with God's people. And and as you're reading the Psalms in in your personal Bible reading, uh, sometimes it's tempting to to forget that the Psalms not only teach us what to pray, uh, but they teach us how to pray. Uh, They show, they give examples of how God um, wants change to happen in his people. And so that's something that, that we're going to see. You know, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes we think of uh, the scriptures as like, a, a, you know, a, a corn husk, and we have to extract the kernel from the husk. Uh, but we want to keep the husk. We, we don't want to get rid of the shape uh, that God's words come to us in the Psalms. And so the big idea, if, if I could give you one, is to take home uh, for the rest of your week this morning is, is find your hope and home in God. Find your hope and home in God. And uh, I only have, uh, in theory, I only have two points this morning, but I also have a lot of sub-points. So it's really more like an eight-point sermon. <laughs> uh, so the, the first big point is find your hope in God. Find your hope in God. And first of all, find your hope in God in a world of questions. Find your hope in God in a world of questions. As we look through this text, there are a lot of questions in this text, you notice. Uh, The psalmist asks God questions. Repeatedly, he asks God questions. Um, Why have you abandoned me? Why why am I alone? The psalmist asks himself questions. Uh, We notice how the psalmist ask questions of himself. Uh, And then we see how the psalmist's enemies ask him questions. You know, where is your God? And uh, like it or not, we live in a world that triggers questions for us every day. Uh, And sometimes that's just because we're limited. Uh, We're limited creatures. God has, has made us in such a way that we simply don't know the future. Uh, We don't know what's gonna happen in the next minute, uh, let alone the next year or the next decade. And so we have questions about the future. We we wanna know what's gonna happen, but we we don't have that ability. Um, But some of us, some of us ask questions because we have expectations of how life is going to be. And those expectations often go unmet. 
And especially when we are feeling strong feelings like sadness or anger, uh, that shows that you have an expectation uh, for how life is supposed to go. And it's not meeting your expectations. And so we see here the honesty of the psalmist and how he brings those feelings and those questions before his God. And we learn something important from this, and that's this. Don't skip over your questions. Don't skip over your questions when you are coming before God in prayer. Bring them before the Lord. Dan Allender in his book, The Cry of the Soul, says, the Psalms teach us how to wrestle with doubt until it gives way to the first rays of hope. The Psalms light our way on the path of change. You know, God has designed us in such a way that we can't skip over our questions or our feelings, but we are called like the psalmist to bring them before God. You know, sometimes when someone is standing in front of me, and perhaps you've experienced this as well, and they're, they're crying or, or they're in deep distress or, or maybe they're, they're really angry, my gut instinct as a, a fix-it person is what can I do to fix this situation, right? What, what, can, I do to, what can I do to stop this from happening? <laughs> but as you probably also know, what, what folks in that place uh, often want from us is just our presence. Uh, they want us to sit with them in those, those feelings and that grief and just be with them as they're experiencing deep loss and pain. You see, we can't skip over those feelings too quickly. Or where we see when, remember when Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb after, after Lazarus died, uh, and, he, and he is standing there with Mary weeping. You know, Jesus knew that in, in just a few minutes he would raise Lazarus from the dead. But he doesn't tell Mary, you know, Mary, I'm gonna, I'm gonna raise your brother from the dead. You know, don't, you know, stop, stop crying. What does he do? He weeps with her. And that's because Jesus was a true human being. And that's because how God has designed us to feel feeling strongly. So don't skip over your questions and your doubts. Bring them before God. God is big enough to handle them. But second, ask questions of your questions. We see the psalmist doing that. He asks himself, why are you cast down, O my soul? And he, and he does this three times. Uh, he does it over and over. Uh, and it reminds me of what uh, one pastor theologian, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said in one of his books. Uh, he said, we, we can either only listen to ourselves or talk to ourselves." Uh, and sometimes we, we get in those ruts because we're only listening to ourself. We're only listening to our anxieties or our fears. Uh, and there are several caveats to this. Well, first of all, there are almost never quick fixes to grief or fear. Uh, notice how the psalmist has to keep repeating this question over and over. You know, perhaps he had to keep repeating this question to himself and reminding himself of the truth uh, throughout his whole life. And there is such a thing, of course, as clinical depression and anxiety, and, and we can't simply switch off those problems by asking ourselves a few questions. Um, but what this teaches us is that when we are in the midst of doubt and fear and suffering, there are things we can do. There are things that we can do. You see, the, uh, the, the grown-up part of ourself, uh, the, the part of ourself that is led by the Spirit of God, uh, can talk to the rest of ourself and, and, and remind ourselves of the truth 
of the gospel, that God is still God, and even in the middle of whatever this pain is, he is still with you, and he is for you. And so we are called to to ask questions of our questions. Find your hope in a world of questions, but find your hope in God's vindication also. Find your hope in God's vindication. Uh, We see in in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 43, the psalmist says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. We don't know uh, exactly who the psalmist was talking about, uh, but the psalmist is experiencing accusations from enemies. Uh, Maybe these, these are the same people who are mocking him, saying, Where is your God? And so the psalmist asks God to vindicate him. Uh, And so, in other words, he's saying, God, stand in my corner. Plead my cause. Prove that I haven't believed in a lie when I talk about you. I don't know if you've ever been there. What do we learn from that? Well, I I would submit to you this, that that question, where is your God, I believe almost every day we are wrestling with that question to some degree. You know, sometimes that question is very loud when we're going through a period of intense suffering. Some days when when things are going well, maybe that question is, is quiet. But I think for many of us, there is always a voice who is asking that question in our minds and our hearts. Where is where is God in this? What what is he doing? Has he has he forgotten me? And especially when we're angry or scared or sad, you know, it's so easy to go through life pretending that we live in a godless universe. But but whenever you are angry or sad or, or life has not met your expectations, because we believe that God is in control of everything, that is always saying something about God. You know, God, why has life not turned out the way that I was expecting? We are always wrestling with that question. But of course, the solution again is not to leave it there, but to bring it before God, because God can handle that question. As we see the psalmist asking that question, why why have you forgotten me? And of course, we believe absolutely God has not forgotten this person. God has not forgotten you. But sometimes we have to admit it feels that way. And we wrestle with that question But also, we learn that we are to avoid two extremes when it comes to unjust suffering. These are the two extremes, on the one hand, of passivity, and on the other hand, of vengeance. We have to avoid passivity and vengeance. So, passivity is when we pretend that real hurt hasn't happened, right? It's kind of like when someone's actually hurt you and they say, listen, would you, would you forgive me? I actually did hurt you. I did wrong to you. And you say, oh, it's, it's not a big deal. You, know, it, you didn't really do anything. That's, that's denial, actually. And over time, if we continue down that path, when someone has wronged us, uh, bitterness and resentment can build up over time. But the other extreme is vengeance, right? That's when we explode in rage and we try to take matters into our own hands and seek retribution. 
You know, we think of, uh, I have a pressure cooker at home, which many of you probably do. Uh, and sometimes as the pressure is building up, you know, it, it's a little scary sometimes. You know, what if this explodes, uh, you know, and uh, that's kind of like vengeance, just exploding, you know, everywhere after resentment has built up. Um, but when we, when we take our, 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 our complaints and our, our anger to God, there is a way in which the steam can be let out in a controlled manner. Uh, just like a pressure cooker. Um, so between those two extremes, there is a third way, and that is what the psalmist does. He, he entrusts his cause to God. He entrusts his cause to God. You know, our culture, rightly so, is wrestling with justice, and this is a very important topic that we as a church are wrestling with, and wrestling with the ways that which we have failed to uphold justice in our country, especially for the poor and the marginalized. But here's the thing. We have to remember that only God can do perfect justice. Only God can do perfect justice. When, when we seek to take matters into our own hands in interpersonal conflict, uh, what we are saying is that I actually don't trust that God will take care of the situation for me. I, I think I can do a better job than God. But listen, whatever wrong that you've experienced, God knows about it far better than you do, and he will take care of it. God is a good God, and the judge of all the earth will do right. He has promised us. And so if we truly love justice, if we truly love that the fact that God will make all things right, there will be things that we leave into his hands. Because when we take matters into our own hands, there is almost always collateral damage. Uh, I have a two-year-old son, and uh, sometimes he's helped me in the yard, you know, and sometimes we have to uh, dig up tree stumps, uh, and I use this really dangerous pickaxe sometimes. <laughs> I'm swinging this thing, and Probably shouldn't even be using it while he's out in the yard. Um, but uh, I know sometimes he wants to help me, right? And you can imagine my two-year-old son trying to pick up this pickaxe, you know, to chop down a tree. That's not going to go well, right? You know, he could, he could hurt himself. He could hurt other people. Uh, and so that's, it's kind of like that. There are certain things that we simply cannot do, uh, that if we try to do them, we will hurt ourselves and others. And so we need to seek our vindication in God. He will take care of it. And don't mishear me. There are things that we need to do to promote justice and equity in our world. But God has said vengeance belongs to him. Find your vindication in God. But also find your hope in God when the waves roll over you. When the waves roll over you. We read uh, in chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, um, particularly verse 7, the psalmist says, All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And most likely, that is a reference to some form of suffering. The psalmist is in a place of deep suffering. So it feels like waves of suffering are crashing upon him uh, and, and wrecking his world. But here's the thing, notice in the next verse, the very next line of the psalm, the psalmist says, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And so you notice how the psalmist sees no conflict between suffering and the steadfast love of God. Because think about it, listen to what he says, all your breakers and waves have gone over me. And so although the psalmist is in a place of deep suffering, he knows 
that those are God's waves. Those are God's breakers. And that suffering is in the control of our God. God is in control of that suffering. I don't know if you've ever heard of something called a rogue wave. Any of you have ever been out at sea, but it's, a, it's basically this, this unexpected, uh, unplanned for wave that can totally swamp a ship, uh, turn it upside down. Uh, well, I would argue that in, in God's mind, there are no rogue waves. Uh, God is in control of all the waves uh, that crash against your life. And, and this is perhaps one of the hardest lessons for you and I to receive from God. Can you accept that the pain that you are experiencing, maybe even today, is still in the hands of a good God who loves you and is for you? You know, and that's not something that uh, a pastor can convince you of. It's not something that uh, you can uh, simply hammer into your brain by yourself, but it's only something the Spirit of God can teach us. And he often uses that very suffering to teach us that whatever I'm experiencing, whatever it could be, God is still in control. And he is still in that and working through it to give me a greater capacity for joy and to make me more and more like my Savior. It's a hard lesson to receive, though. It's, a great, it's perhaps the greatest test for any child of God. But think about it like this. God has rigged the world in your favor. It might be a shocking statement. God has rigged the world in your favor. Uh, There's another quote from from Dan Allender in, in the book, The Cry of the Soul. Listen to this. God's passion is to rig the world so that we are compelled to deal with whatever blocks us from being like his glorious son. He has rigged the world. That doesn't mean that the the world is going to go every way that you want it to. And yet we believe, as Romans says, all things work together for good. And so whatever it is that you're going through, God is going to use that for your good. So first of all, find your hope in God in the midst of all those circumstances. But second, find your home in God. Find your home in God. Um, The psalmist is far from home, and we all long for a home. I was struck as we were singing this morning, so many of those songs uh, have to deal with a longing for uh, a feast or, or a longing for a home that God has prepared for us. This is a deep desire of our heart. In the very first verse of this psalm, uh, we, we read of a deer that is panting, uh, panting for flowing streams. Instead of fresh water, the psalmist is drinking the salty tears of his weeping. So we see the contrast there. And he says in verse 4, I'm remembering these things. I remember how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. He's, he's remembering the bygone days when, when he was happy uh, to be with God's people, when, when, you know, it's almost like a new Christian, you know, first learning about all these truths and being so excited uh, to, to share their faith. You know, he's, he's longing for those, those early days. Well, 
we, 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 we learn from this psalm that there is a, an unhelpful remembering and a helpful remembering. So first of all, there, there is an unhelpful remembering. Uh, sometimes, maybe you've experienced this, we, we can get stuck in a, in a nostalgic longing for the good old days. Uh, it's actually interesting, a few weeks ago I was listening to a, a podcast uh, that was talking about uh, nostalgia, and apparently there's a, there's a history of nostalgia. And it was once considered to be a disease because there were all there were these soldiers in like the 1700s who were so incapacitated for their longing for home that they couldn't fight, and so there. Uh, it's, it's interesting how that was even considered to be a bad thing uh, back then. And you know, and and I would say that in this period in history, this is a pretty nostalgic period of time, you know, especially with the pandemic and everything. We are, we are longing for life as it used to be. Uh, you know, and I, I'm, I'm from a generation, the millennial generation, that's pretty nostalgic for the 90s, right? You know, before 9-11 and, you know, the war on terror, you know, the 90s seemed like this amazing time where, you know, anyway, I won't get into all that, but uh, it's a pretty nostalgic period of time. And, and all of us, you know, we're nostalgic for different things. You know, life pre-pandemic, uh, the church in America as it used to be, uh, the decade you grew up in, you know, it could be, it could be different things. And I'll, let me be clear, nostalgia isn't all bad. So I'm, I'm not saying if you're feeling nostalgia for something, that's not sinful uh, necessarily. Uh, but, but what the psalmist, what he's thinking of in Psalm 4, that if he had stayed there, right? If he had stayed in that, I just wish I had a Christian life like I did back then. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, uh, if he had stayed there, that would not have been helpful for him. That, that is an unhelpful remembering because he is forgetting the one who first brought him to that joy. He's forgetting God. Notice what he says later, though. He says, therefore, he says this. I lost my place here. He says later in the psalm, therefore I remember you. I remember God. Verse five, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon. He's remembering God in a foreign land from far away. And so instead of remembering the good old days, he is remembering God himself. That is the source of all of his joy. You see, the past can't come back, it's gone. But, but the same God who is with you in that past is the same. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that is the remembering that God calls us to, to remember him. He is your constant rock and refuge. So find your hope in God when you're feeling nostalgic. But also find your home in God by asking him to guide you back to him. The psalmist says in chapter 43, verses 3 and 4, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. And notice, I love this about this psalm. There, there is almost this progression from, from, from being in a faraway land to going back to the home of God. You know, it's almost like he, he, says, he says, first of all, lead me to your holy hill. Uh, that's like going back to your hometown, 
You know, he's saying, lead me back to Zion, to the city of God. And says, then he says, lead me to your dwelling. You know, that is, that is the temple, the house of God. You know, that's like, like, that's like getting to your front door after a long trip, right? Uh, and then he says, uh, lead me to your altar. And that's the place of access to God. That's like walking through the front door. And then finally, lead me to God, my exceeding joy. That's like going in and enjoying the Thanksgiving feast that's about to happen. So you see there's this, there's this increasing intimacy, this, this coming back home to be with God. You know, we're, we're about to have uh, celebrate for many of us Thanksgiving this week. Uh, we've got Christmas coming up in a month. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but you know, I, I, I enjoy the buildup to Christmas, but Christmas itself can often be disappointing, right? You know, it's almost never as good as you're expecting. And I think God has designed this world in that way uh, to show us that we're, we're not there yet. You know, we, we have not reached the true fulfillment that our hearts are longing for. It's gonna let us down. But if we are seeking our home in God, we will find that fulfillment. You know, the food that we're about to eat this week, the, the, the family that you may see, uh, the, the presents that you're gonna open, those are all meant to point us back to the gift giver. They are meant to show us how good a home is with our God. Find your hope and your home in God. And the only way that we can do this is because Jesus went from a place of intimacy that we cannot even imagine. The, the relationship between the Son and the Father and the Spirit, that is a sense of home that in this world we cannot even fathom. Jesus left that, and it says in the beginning of John, he tabernacled among us. Jesus literally pitched his tent in this world, in a place that was, did not feel like home for him, so that we could find a home in him, so that he could say later, I have gone to prepare a place for you. Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a home, a place for us. Well, I want to end on this, uh, I want to call, I call it the chorus line of hope. You know, it's kind of like a psalm. It's, it's the phrase that's repeated over and over, the chorus line. And that is, that is what the psalmist says again and again, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. For I shall again praise him. His praise will outlast all other praises. You know, the praise of your possessions, the praise of your body, the praise of your work, your accomplishments, it's all gonna pass away. You know, and sometimes that desire for home is so strong, it can lead us to start building a house on sandy soil that the wave will knock down. But praising God, that, that is a job that will outlast any career that you could have on earth. You know, no one's gonna ever ask you to retire from that job of praising God. And that, that again and again, hope in God for I shall again praise him, that's going to outlast even death itself. Find your hope, find your home in God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time that we've
been exposed to Psalms 42 and 43. Lord, if it was just up to us, these words of mine would fall flat and there would be no, no lasting effect. But we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that he is at work in our hearts and that he is making us more and more like Jesus every day. So Father, I pray for those of us who are feeling hopeless this morning, for whatever reason, would they find hope in the Savior? Those of us who are longing for home, maybe, maybe this coming holiday season is incredibly hard for them because it does not feel like a homecoming. I pray that they would find their home in Jesus and that they would know that even beyond life on this world, they will have a place in the kingdom of God. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.